If you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our worship of God. Pardon me, I think my sermon notes might be in my pocket. <laughs> I done zip there for a second. While you're opening up to Ephesians 2, I've got a question for you and a story. Uh, maybe we'll start with the story first. Uh, one of Rebecca's favorite things at home, maybe kind of right near the time where we should be getting ready for bed, where it's bedtime. Uh, when I pull out my phone and I go to the YouTube app and I pull up one of my favorite YouTube channels, Cracking the Cryptic, a Sudoku and logic puzzle YouTube channel. Uh, these guys who are geniuses for all intents and purposes, at least in this one small section of the stratosphere, uh, solve these puzzles that I guarantee you the majority of us will never solve. <laughs> and I watch them do it, and for some reason I find it quite soothing. Uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, they have a depth of knowledge, uh, a depth of wisdom, I might say, in that regard, in that little piece of this little subject that's incredibly, incredibly advanced. As I was watching this, um, perhaps even last night, though I would never tell you if I was or not, uh, as, as I was kind of thinking and praying about uh, this moment of proclamation, I, I thought to myself, this is, this is going to help, I think, for us to try to get where we're trying to get here in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Because originally I wanted to ask you this question. Mountains, ladybugs, logic, salvation... Humanity and April Fool's jokes. Uh, uh, what? Why aren't y'all laughing? Uh, what do they have in common? Right? What do they have in common? How, how do these things fit into the same category? And the reason why I think these two stories match and might help us get to where we're trying to go is that, is that when you look, perhaps you know what I'm talking about when I say the word Sudoku. But if you don't, just think of a crossword puzzle. Or think of some puzzle that when you look at it, you think... I don't know, or a math equation, and you're thinking, I might have known how to do that sometime in my life, but not now, right? You know, whatever it might be, and you wonder, how can it be done? And then you watch someone do it, and you say, oh, that's how. The call, I believe, in Ephesians, of Paul to these people, and it's definitely the people in Ephesus, and all likelihood it's people around as well, it's many churches, Paul is calling these people to have an eye of wisdom, of clarity, of understanding, and indeed of depth, where we are the ones, the followers of Jesus here, are the ones who are solving the puzzle for others. But are you doing that for your faith now? Are you at the point where you would say, and you're following after Jesus, that you might reveal the flow? of the puzzle. It's very important to think through. And we get it in a very unique way here because, because what we begin to see is that mountains, ladybugs, logic, salvation, humanity, and yes, even too far April Fool's jokes, they all fit into one category. And that is that the Lord either created them or ordained them to be so. And I know how crazy that sounds, but it's true because the Lord is in control. He is over all and in all and through all and moving this, this thing that we call life forward. And what we see is a, 
is a doubling down on that with, with all kinds of stuff bearing out in verses 8, 9, and 10. And so as we go to this word, keep this main point in mind. That God's title of creator, because you know this, if you are a follower of God, that He creates. And He created indeed all things out of nothing. That, that God's title of creator is more than that. And that it is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. If that doesn't catch our attention, I don't know what will. Let's pray and then we'll read these verses that Paul has to the Ephesians and the Holy Spirit has to us. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. A word that you have seen fit to preserve. By your Holy Spirit, you carried the Apostle Paul along as he wrote these words. By your Holy Spirit, you preserved the, 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 the uh, carriers of this letter to get them to those churches. By your Holy Spirit, you preserved these letters throughout the centuries all the way to now. And so, God, as we hold your inerrant and infallible and holy word, God, by your Spirit, work in us. We know from your word that the Holy Spirit wields this like a two-edged sword that can cleave bone and marrow and so do it in our very souls. Today, in this moment, bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the Word of God, this Word, it remains forever. We'll have it in the heavenly places. And we can praise God for it even now then. Remember our main point, that God's title of Creator is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in three ways today. That, that God is the Creator of salvation including its mechanics. That God is the creator of humanity. And that God is the creator of good works even. Let's dive in then firstly to verse 8. God is the creator of salvation, including its mechanics. Here's what I mean by all of those things that I was trying to say before. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. And the Hebrew says, light was. Okay? Let there be light. Light was. Okay? God spoke all things out of nothing into existence. Hey, mountain. Water. Boom. Rain. Shoo. Trees. Man. Woman. Right? He, God is the creator. Okay? He is a creator God. And yet, yet this title goes well beyond Genesis chapter 1. God creates so much more. And indeed, we see that God is the creator of salvation. And, and it's, it's very mechanics. Because for my grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So there's a couple things going on here. It's a pretty enormous verse, just if you're really thinking about it. Remember our definition for 
grace. Grace means that something is happening that's unmerited, okay? A gracious gift is something that uh, you don't deserve, you just get it, okay? So there's one word. Faith, we have confessed already. I hope that you notice the connection here. Uh, for Westminster Confession, a shorter catechism, question and answer 86, what is faith? Well, we see here what we find as a summation of all of the scriptures, including this one, slammed together in a one-sentence answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. That is, it's, it's unmerited, okay? It's a salvation without any merit from ourselves, whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone. For salvation, as he has offered to us in the gospel, rest, reception and rest. So we see this word faith. So we've got grace. We've got faith uh, jammed in between that. We've got salvation, which is not your work, remember, it's, it's God's work. And we know this, if you're curious, not from my words, but the next sentence. This isn't your own doing, right? It's not your work. It's the very gift of God. And so not only is it gracious, not only is there this faith component as we're resting in the Lord Jesus, not even the faith, not even that component of our salvation is our own doing. All of it is, is a gift from God. It's God's from beginning to end. He has created it for the sole purpose, not of saving us, but of revealing himself more fully that we might worship him because of the salvation that he has worked. Let's not stop halfway here. I've said this before about other things. Church plants, King's Church, it's a church plant. Arsenal Hill, it's a church plant. Why do we want to plant churches? My primary, my primary reason is not to save people. That's certainly a pretty high up there reason. Rebecca Carson's on the field. She, she's definitely hoping that people come to faith. But I can guarantee you, her primary reason would be to glorify the Lord as He has called her to do a work for Him. And as we read Scripture, we begin to realize that, that God's title of Creator carries a depth of power and, and a depth of reality that begins to bear itself out. And, and as He's doing this work of creation, it's one thing. And we think, mountains, that's amazing. Ladybones, that's intricate. Logic, that makes sense. Right? There's an order. Humanity, that's way more intricate. And it seems like there's something more. A soul. What does this mean? Right? As we begin to see all of these different things bear out, that we begin to see the same category that God is creating, what we then see as well is that God has created this movement forward of salvation. It's His plan. It's His logic. And it is perfect. And He has done it for us because we can't do it for ourselves. That's what the gospel is. That's what the good news is. Is that God would send His Son Jesus. We were just talking about it. Easter time. That God would send His Son Jesus. And that Jesus, being God, would clothe Himself with flesh. That He would give all of His godly comfort up. Though remain God. And that He would live this life of humiliation, of, of humbleness for the sole purpose of bringing His people home with Him. Because we've got a problem. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we will go to hell if God does not do something for us. And He does something for us 
that that might not happen, which makes it very good news indeed. God is the creator of salvation, and, and he's the creator of its mechanics, because lest we forget, God is a jealous God, and that jealousy is not like my jealousy. If you recall, Paul's writing a letter, and if you've been with us during the sermon series, uh, we've seen uh, uh, these points being made uh, earlier in the letter, and I made mention of my sinful jealousy for my then-girlfriend Rebecca in high school, and how uh, I wasn't playing out and manifesting what we think of when I say God is a jealous God. Because God is perfect. He's above reproach. He's the creator of all. And because of those things, he indeed is perfectly jealous to have your eyes on him. He deserves that. There is only one being in the entire universe who truly deserves that. And it's God. And he is jealous for it. And because of that, uh, and, and coupled with that, uh, not only does he want to simply cause you to force you to bend a knee, he is also good. And, and in his goodness, he, he, he changes hearts. And he reveals a sacrifice that goes well beyond anything our finite minds could begin to imagine. As he himself, as God himself, as Jesus himself would take on the punishment and wrath for us. That we wouldn't bend the knee unwillingly in hell. But that we would bend the knee willingly. In the very presence of the throne of grace rather than the throne of judgment. This creator God, this all-wise God, this magnificent God is bearing out a creation plan that is so full. And, and, and that is so mind-boggling that, that almost nothing compares in natural creation. And yet, God in his creation, he reveals these things, right? When you pick up a young infant who would certainly perish without you. Have you ever thought about that just for a single moment? Our family has a lot of cattle. And when a cow drops in the field, a cow gets up in the field. If you've ever seen animal births, they're just, they're there and running around. Uh, I, I think Mary Emline was telling me that she saw uh, uh, some kind of, uh, we watch this show called Wild Kratts, I think gazelles or something, they, they can be bored and then run like 40 miles an hour immediately so they don't get eaten, right? Why then? Why in the world would God create that foremost and pinnacle creation of man, the very image of God, to have offspring? in such desperate need of care that even just a few hours of neglect in the beginning might cause the demise of his creation. Why? Why? Unless he's revealing something for you in his creation. Unless he's revealing in that little tiny baby a reality of who you are in the depths of your soul. And who he is to you. Which is why in the depths of your soul, even if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus, the vast supermajority of humanity are most offended when the least among us are neglected. I would find it hard to find even a non-believer in this county who upon the neglect of a child in the very infant stage would not meet 
the full wrath of the people around them. Isn't that interesting? God's creation, God as creator, is revealing an even deeper reality, an even deeper logic of salvation and its mechanics, of, of grace and of gift, of not being able to do it, and of God doing it, and of that reality of faith coming through in the Lord Jesus. But there's more, because we see in verses 9 and the first part of verse 10 that God is indeed the creator of humanity as well. Not only the creator of salvation and its mechanics, but the creator of humanity. We see that here in 9 and 10, uh, first part. Uh, it's not a result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Because now, when we begin to apply this, this moment, that, uh, as we think not of just a baby, but of ourselves, and what it means for us. What, what does it mean? As, as God really is working, and, and as we really try to hold on to this moment where we're saying, okay, I'll stick with you. It's nothing that I do, including my faith, because you're telling me that God has given this to me as a gift. What does it mean? It means that you cannot boast. I said this on our Wednesday Bible study. We were in a different part of the word uh, in Philemon. But, but there is a great equalizing moment for humanity. Uh, you know, there are different structures in life. Uh, a big one nowadays is, is uh, racial divides, right? Uh, people are really just now uh, just really liking to talk about, for instance, the black-white uh, concept within structures, etc. You know, that's a huge one. But there are others that always catch a little airwaves, right? Uh, finances, right? Uh, you can think of sillier ones, uh, like my April Fool's joke, right? Worship style. Right, the drum set. That's probably not going to happen at Centennial, right? But I know plenty of churches that got one. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's like, you know, you can think of these smaller things that, that somewhat divide, as it were. It creates these differences that we have. Everyone has these unique qualities. Family units have this. Uh, uh, it's, no uh, it's no secret that uh, myself and my children, and uh, believe it or not, Rebecca, uh, probably have a decibel level that y'all don't have. It just is what it is, right? It's a unique quality of who we are. And, and y'all have those things too. And all of these different things begin to play out. But there's a great equalizing moment. And that great equalizing moment is when you stand before God. Period. Because when you stand and behold your Creator, you are created. Therefore, you cannot boast before your Creator. He is the great equalizer. And, and when we begin to see this, it bears out in life. We, we've seen this elsewhere in Ephesians. We'll see it even more as we keep going. But the reality that no one may boast all of a sudden begins to multiply within our heart and our soul, which bears out in our action and our words, service. Jesus came not to uh, be served, but rather to serve. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. I will take off my robe and I will wash the feet of my very disciples. That was the demeanor and character of God Himself, of Jesus. And He said, do likewise. 
That is why Paul said in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, do not neglect those that are around you. That is why James said, I don't care if you have money, don't set them up in the front. That is why God revealed and why the apostles doubled down on in the beginnings of the church that they must, that they must with seriousness take up the widows and the orphans in their midst. Because God throughout His Word had revealed that the least among them are the greatest. Why don't you check out Jeremiah 31 if you don't believe me? Not my chapter. The prophet's chapter. That is why the Christians of the first and second century were slandered for, uh, uh, for stealing children and child sacrifice. Because they did the, the unbelieving world around them had no concept of adoption. And when God were to work in the people's hearts in Rome, they couldn't stop and pass the little ones on the street, but took them in and fed them at the sacrifice of themselves. That's what love of neighbor is. That's what care of widow is. That's what care of orphan is. And it all spawns out of this moment where we, as the people of God, who have been awoken to the reality of the eyes of our heart, to see it right here. Our stony hearts are now fleshly hearts. They're beating hearts. They're alive hearts. We have been raised up. We're not dry bones in the valley. We are standing and alive. Uh, uh, full human beings with soul breathed into us. Not Ezekiel uh, 36 and 37, but Ezekiel 38. And as we behold this in its fullness, and with wisdom and discernment and clarity given to us, not by our own works, but by a work of God in us, we dare not boast. And in fact, we do the very opposite. We serve. That was a non-exhaustive list, by the way. Read the scriptures with an eye for what it might mean not to boast. You might be surprised. Jesus even. Don't let your hands know which one's giving which. But God is not only the creator of salvation and its mechanics. He's not only the creator of humanity. As we are beholding God's title of creator. And as we are seeing it fully revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see that God goes even a step further. And, and this is where we really begin to start to have to take a step back. And, and reorient a little bit. Because God is also the creator of good works. Which is the second part of verse 10. I'll read the whole verse for context. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why should we do anything good? There is a real and deep answer to it and we have to be very careful how we answer it. We won't necessarily get in trouble to only go halfway, but we will never reach full, deep, spiritual, Christian maturity if we only go halfway. And here's the halfway point. Why should we do good works? Because God told me to. If I read the Bible, thou shalt not lie, so I don't lie. That's good, okay? But it's not all the way. 
It's not all the way. Because God's title of creator is most fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And we see here a reality bearing out that that there is a creation of humanity. And that creation is being created for good works. God is the one who's preparing them beforehand. And we are to be walking in them. Now remember the backdrop to this. Because by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not a work of yours. It's like I said that no one may boast. By the way, do some work, right? And you're thinking, what, what do you want from me, Lord? You know, you're, you're, you're pausing, right? But, but as, as we begin to see that God Himself is the creator of all the good things within which we are doing, what good have you done in your life? It is God that has prepared it for you. It's God's work, not yours. Why would you boast? Why would you set yourself up in pride? Paul warns the Corinthian church of that. What chapter are y'all in in the quarterly right now? Y'all have already passed it. 1 Corinthians 10. Anyone that thinks that they stand, take heed lest they fall. I think y'all are in 12 or 13 now. Getting close to Easter, right? I'm sure that they're going to hit 15 for Easter. But you, you begin to see a reality there where, where pride is, is so dangerous. And that, and that the Christian who, who is being quickened by the Holy Spirit, who is, who is casting their burdens onto the Lord Jesus with faith, recognizing that, that God has given this gift of, of, of grace, this, this reality that we're not doing anything to merit it. As, as now we're moving forward in life, what do we do? Well, we do all the stuff that God's called us to, but we must recognize in our minds and indeed our very souls that God is the one who has manifested and created these good works that we should go in them. It's a different mindset and heart set than I, I just do this stuff because the Lord told me to. You know? It's like, in a sense, it's true. And yet there is so much more to behold. Because as God does this, what, what happens when you do good work? What is the good work? What does it mean for you to begin to realize that, that God Himself has your whole life in His hands and He's moving you forward through thick and through thin and through rejoicing and through grieving, happiness and sadness, tumult and trial and chaos and peace and contentment. All of it that God is moving and that there is opportunity for what? What are the good works if we think deeper? we think of the logic and we think of where Paul has been taking us, it's that we might reveal the Lord Jesus to others. And for those that believe, they will be comforted in the revelation. And for those who do not, they will be convicted by the Holy Spirit, either into condemnation or into salvation. Remember, that work is not yours. It is God's. But He has given you good works to go forward in. But I would dare say that and this is not a jab at any of you because I do the same thing. It's a jab at me and I'm assuming that you're going to feel it too. We stop halfway, don't we? And it's tiresome. Why? Why do I do I don't want to be nice. You know, what, you know, what is it, right? I, I don't want to do that. You know it. When you look at it not with the full depth of what God has revealed as, as being a, a creator of these things, you, you don't see the goodness. 
you only see negativity because of your sinful self. And I'm talking to me. You take it for what you will. God is the creator of good works. And so now we come to the end. The conclusion. What is the Bible about? It's not about God saving you. It's just not. It's about God. And you see him saving you in it. That's a huge difference. What is life about? It ain't about you. It's about God who has given you life and all of the good and all of the ill. And he is calling to you who believe in the Lord Jesus. He is calling to you to mature now that you might be that light to yourself and to your family and to others who believe and who don't believe. We dare not stop halfway and then wonder why the kingdom is not expanding in our close vicinity. Look no further than the mirror. God has called us to move in maturity as a people of God. And He is gracious. And He is comforting. Because if you're nervous, don't pull a Moses. Or an Elijah. Or any of those others before they made it into the hall of faith. Said, I don't know, I can't do this on my own. And God's like, you know, look, I'm kind of with you here. I'm with you. And I've given you people around you. Let me show you. For Moses, it was Aaron. And his sister, Miriam. For Elijah, it was Elisha. 7,000 who had not bent the knee. For us, it's centennial. In our Bible studies, and our prayer groups. This is a powerful word to take and to hold fast, to memorize, to dwell upon. But don't go halfway. Don't be one who merely sits on the couch and watches the YouTube video and says, huh. Yeah, I see the logic there. That makes sense. I could solve that, I guess. But never solves a single puzzle. That's not life. That's just watching life. Be a Christian who lives Christian. For that is what God has called you to, the creator of all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you indeed are creator. And that creator is not just mountains and streams, Ladybugs and the like. Not just humanity, but salvation. And salvation of our very souls. God, thank you for the Lord Jesus and his work on our behalf. May we dwell upon you not only today, but always. In Jesus' name, amen.